Welcome back to Second Helping, the podcast of choice of fans and followers of the number one league in all of collegiate athletics, the Southeastern Conference. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, back alongside my great friend and co-host here on the show, Brent Beard, a longtime college football analyst for First Coast News down in Jacksonville, Florida. Brent, of course, also a longtime voter in the race for the top individual award in collegiate athletics the Heisman Trophy. And Brent, I know we're moving closer and closer to March Madness where college basketball is concerned, but March also means a full getting underway of spring football practice around the Southeastern Conference. In fact, we're less than a week away from it getting underway at at least one program in the SEC. Yeah, uh, always good to be back, Trav, and uh, glad you're doing okay. Auburn. Uh, begins Monday. <laughs> that that's hard to believe, but I get the uh, uh, the sense of urgency for Hugh Freeze to basically kind of find out what he's got, right? And uh, uh, you, you got a whole new set of coaches and so forth. So uh, yes, there is there is much about to go on on the field. There's a lot going on uh, still with OU Texas coming into the league. Uh, media days has been announced. Uh, also, uh, plans to shorten the game. Uh, Trev, you and I have done this now for, frankly, since the early 90s, and we used to not have anything to talk about virtually <laughs> uh, in, in, in February and March, except for hoops, and we both love hoops, but, but the reality is this is just unprecedented, is it not, for, for all that's going on this time of year? I'll tell you what else is interesting, that we're getting into March and at one of the more prominent programs in the SEC, we're still seeing staff movement, right? Uh, Specifically talking about the University of Florida, and it's not just impacting UF because of some movement on Billy Napier's staff. Nick Saban's staff has now been impacted here in the last few days. Uh, Well, and uh, the two have kind of... uh, uh, been linked with this as, as far as that is concerned. It is unusual for a school uh, in Florida, uh, who we're talking about here, that have basically lost three coaches in 36 hours. Uh, and the latest being Kerry Colbert, the wide receiver coach, going to the uh, Broncos, uh, and also Patrick Tony. Uh, the defensive coordinator, who frankly is a better D coordinator than probably he had talent for last year. And their tight ends coach, William Piegler, also going to Arizona. But uh, Austin Armstrong, well thought of by a lot of people, uh, had a really good year at Southern Miss, led the Sunbelt and Sacks tackles, finished second in interceptions, going from Alabama after a cup of coffee there to Florida, he, he knows Billy Napier. Uh, so, uh, Trev, I, I, and look, and this is something you said several weeks ago that is really coming to fruition now. Uh, I, I know some people will criticize Billy Napier. I get some of that, and I still think they will be okay. But with all these coaches you're dealing with, bud, uh, that the lure of the NFL may not have may not be any more attractive than it is right now. Yeah, I was going to pose this in a couple of different ways as it relates to this movement at Florida here in the last few days. Um, is the perception that 
maybe these guys are thinking this is going to be tougher than we imagined here. And Mm -hmm. while there was talk initially of Billy Napier, program builder, the reality is we know in this day and age, if by year two you aren't showing really notable strides in progress with the program, all that goes out the window. There is no such thing as a four, five, six-year plan anymore. That's gone. So you can – sell or try to sell the program builder thing at the initial press conference all you want because you haven't played a game yet. But now that we have a season under its belt, the Rashada situation was a dumpster fire and how it played out with NIL. Um, Or is it kind of that these guys, as you alluded to there, and I've talked about for some time now, it has never been more attractive, at least in the last generation and a half of coaches, to make your way from college football to the National Football League than it is right now, given NIL, given the one-time transfer rule, given that the workload has only increased with the transfer portal um, and the expectations and how you have to coach these guys even at this standpoint. Um, where, where do you sit on that? Do you, do you think this is problematic? Do you think this is a worrisome situation if you're a Florida fan with this movement? Or again, is this more along the lines of what, what I just talked about with the NFL being as attractive as it's ever been? Well, uh, I think in a microcosm, what is going on is a month of December, uh, is you're ending the season, you're working on a roster management. You're also have early signing period, You've also got finals. You're also working on getting ready for a bowl game. And, and some of these schools, uh, and Trev, it's not going to get any better, is it, with the, uh, as, as, as excited as I am about the uh, expanding playoffs, that's going to add pressure, too, to these guys. So uh, just as a, uh, a, a stress and a capsule it is a month, of, a month of December to show what you're talking about. I think in this situation with Florida, I'm going to write it off more to timing and the allure of the NFL than I am just an outright concern sure. going into year two with Billy Napier. I'm not to that point yet. I think it's much more of a crossroads season in year two for Billy mm-hmm. Napier than some people might imagine. Um, but you know, we don't play the Super Bowl now till February, what, right. 12th? Yes. yes. <laughs> so where it falls on the schedule in the National Football League, as far as NFL business is concerned and changes with coaching staffs and things like that, um, you've already seen head coaching changes made mm-hmm. at, at some of those places that went that direction. But as far as staff fulfillment, you know, a lot of dominoes don't fall or begin to fall until after the Super Bowl. So we just had the Super Bowl. So when you consider that these are all NFL-related moves, um, it, it makes sense from a from a timing perspective. So that's the that's the viewpoint I'm going to take on the Florida situation right now as it relates to Austin Armstrong. Guy's 29 years old, and he's got an opportunity now to call the defense for the Florida Gators. So that's a situation he has to take on. I think. Alabama was his preferred spot, Mm -hmm. but again, the previous relationship that Armstrong has with Billy Napier, I'm sure came into play. And this guy is an absolute rising star. I don't care who you talk to in college football. 
They think Austin Armstrong is the next big thing, the next Kirby Smart, the next one of those defensive-based superstar coaches that's out there on the horizon. And, you know, for Alabama, it'll be interesting to see the direction they go now. Obviously, Uh, Kevin Steele has been brought in as a veteran coordinator. They have an opening on the defensive side. Armstrong was going to coach inside linebackers. Kevin Steele can certainly take on that duty in addition to the coordinator role if that's what needs to happen. I don't think the Jeremy Pruitt talk is ever going to completely die down until Jeremy takes his next job. So how does Nick Saban handle this if he's even thinking that Jeremy, maybe this summer that gets resolved, sometime before July? Does Nick Saban hold a spot at this point and maybe just put a support staffer on the field for spring drills to see how it plays out? Or from a recruiting perspective, even, do you have to go ahead and immediately feel, fill that role? Um, because there's more than just the on the field stuff to take into consideration. You got to consider recruiting, cranking back up here in the next few weeks with kids coming back on campus and, you know, you're rolling into the spring evaluation period and then you got summer camps. Uh, a couple different ways, I guess, this could go for Nick Saban in Alabama. Yeah, well, and uh, it, I, the other thing about the Jeremy Pruitt situation uh, with no finality yet from University of Tennessee, uh, that uh, been in the investigation, the, the results uh, there's some question or there's a results and for Tennessee and they're sitting on them for right now. There's also talk uh, from some other media about some other issues that did, between the Tennessee and the NCAA that that could be delaying that. So all that is to, to take into consideration uh, Pruitt, maybe join the staff, maybe as an analyst, still some questions about if they have other movement, uh, uh, with Bo Davis, who's out at Texas, thought to be their best defensive line coach in a long time. Could he be interested in this, too? But, Travis, something you said a minute ago that we can never lose the fact of uh, recruiting number one for Nick Saban and his choice of that staff uh, will no doubt be shaped by what he thinks is going to have to happen in recruiting. Yeah, spring practice set to get underway at Alabama here in a couple of weeks. I mean, we got spring games in April. Yeah. So we know right. what's here on the horizon. By the way, our Hawaii Rainbow Warriors mm. just about wrapped up with spring practice already <laughs> out on Oahu. <laughs> and uh, I think I I might very well be in Nashville come late August for that return game from Hawaii at very Vanderbilt. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, I may have to take that one in for the show. You know, we'll see how it plays out. But I, I may be in attendance for Hawaii Vanderbilt coming up in late August. So, Brent, uh, we also think about the the coming days and weeks and months. And one of those signs that we're truly on to the next football calendar year is the release of SEC Media Day dates and the coaching lineups. Uh, for those dates, uh, should be an interesting get together, I guess this time in Nashville, right? First time in Nashville. Uh, the only time it's been outside of Hoover was when it was in Atlanta, July 17th through 20, uh, released pretty early this year, uh, compared to what it used to be, uh, with that, we'll have time to go through the, the schedule as it, as it gets uh, on. Um, but I think the other thing to look at 
they're they're going to move this around. Uh, Travis hearing a lot about from Greg Sankey and others that after Nashville, it will likely be in Dallas. Uh, I understand that um, uh, Jerry Jones would love to have it at his place, certainly with his uh, ties to the SEC. But boy, that this this lends to a lot of stuff, doesn't it, Trav? How would you like to be the SEC schedule maker right now? They've got decisions. Do you stay with eight conference games? Do you go to nine? Uh, we've got this TV schedule that's about to go. Uh, uh, SEC's last year on CBS. Uh, listen, the the spinning plates they're having a balance in the SEC office is amazing right now. Yeah, and with the merger of Oklahoma and Texas happening a year earlier than we originally thought, these are decisions that got to be made in the yes. very near future, right? I would think no even with the SEC spring meetings coming up uh, in the next couple months, some of this stuff would start to unfold perhaps, maybe? I don't think there's any doubt about that. And even Sankey has said, Trav, that that he he would like to have a decision on whether you go eight or whether you go nine uh, uh, before when they all meet in Destin. Right. So, uh, and, and remember the schedule was announced last year, what Trav in September. Yeah. So, uh, there, there's a uh, much to be done with this. I know people say, well, it's not till next year, but as you know, no. there, there are so many things that have to be done, uh, ahead of time with this. Uh, and that's, what's going to make it, uh, very interesting, and again, with a new TV deal, a lot of talk about starting the season with Texas, Texas A&M. Oof. Uh, is a, how about that, Trav? Is a real possibility, and in order to get some of these games in, uh, at Trav, there's even talk, I'm not saying you're going to get Florida, Florida State, or Alabama and Auburn, but maybe even some of these rivalry games instead of played at the beginning of the year, maybe more toward the middle or even at the beginning of the year. Yeah, I think uh, you think ESPN ABC is having a say in any of this, by oh. the way, after the check they wrote. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. I think they're having some input. Uh, yes. I'm sure that would that notion would be rejected by the league office, but uh, <laughs> they yeah. ain't paying for uh, – Texas A&M Missouri on that first no, weekend. No. I can promise you that. Absolutely and by not. the way, I see here in your notes, uh, looks like the Longhorn Network going yes. the way of the dinosaur once this OU Texas thing um, plays out in, into fruition on the field and uh, going to fold the Longhorn Network into the SEC Network. Is yeah, that right? yeah, I'm not sure what that means exactly. That that comes from the uh, Del Conte, the Texas AD. Uh, quote, we have a year or two left for the Longhorn Network, and then all that inventory stays with us. Uh, so uh, Remember but, when the Longhorn Network was going to be just this monumentous yes, advantage yes. for Texas? It reminds me of what the talk about NIL has been of late, how it was going to be such an advantage for the mm-hmm. Texas schools. and It never really happened, though, it didn't seem no, like, with the Longhorn no, Network. No, yeah. and, and listen, even... You remember when Mac Brown was at Texas Trail? Even even Mac alluded, without coming out and saying it, 
that his his responsibilities with the network got a little bit of, a little bit tiresome. So and, and oh by the way, my question my question to you is the rest of the SEC. I'm not sure these other teams are real concerned uh, about the SEC, the uh, the Longhorn Network going away uh, and, and getting more than their share of attention on the SEC network. Man, you think about the event coverage uh, inventory that the SEC network is going to have, not just because the league's expanding by two, but you're expanding by OU and Texas. Sure you are. Absolutely. So not just in football, man. Think about yes. a basketball week, that, oh, yeah. what these are going to be like, not just with the men's, but the women's programs. Right. Uh, we're getting into baseball and softball season. I love it from that perspective because, to me, the SEC Network's greatest value has always been the SEC Now show, which is always. the equivalent of yes. Sports Center for the SEC. I, I, I'm good with that. Um, the uh, live event coverage the content uh, from that perspective, the inventory from that perspective, and the special type of programming that uh, we see with the SEC Network. Most recently, the story of SEC basketball has been tremendous. If you watch that, just a a tour through the history of the league uh, in terms of basketball, just some excellent, excellent work by the SEC Network. But, man, uh, I've already – pretty much tuned into sec network more than i do even espn espn2 um but that's that's probably gonna just only uh, go to an even higher level here in the next year or two well and, and i think the other thing is in some media friends what well, we got in discussion about this the other day is travis what is this going to do uh as far as adding additional programming and teams and how they're going to figure out uh, I know it's just two, but as you know, it, it, it takes more than that for the women's softball tournament, the men's baseball tournament, the SEC basketball tournament, SEC media days. Uh, the, all those things have to be taken into consideration, do they not, as far as when you add two teams to all these tournaments. Uh, it, I mean, it doesn't change everything. But those are things that have got to be uh, really dealt with and planned out, too. Yeah, and I think that that's why another reason why you're going to see SEC Media Days move around, because it mm-hmm. has become more of a spectacle than an information gathering type of opportunity for the media. Now, if you want to make it more about actual news – I'd be surprised, Brent, if even the spring meetings don't become something similar to media days in terms of how the SEC network goes about covering it on a day-to-day, almost minute-to-minute basis here. Well, and listen, I remember you talking about this years ago when you've got more access yeah. These coaches are much more relaxed, right? Uh, and and they're just they're just opportun- And I don't know if the coaches would rebel against this or not. But I but but I think that's a good point because uh, it, what trap? It's content. More more decisions are made. Th- you know, there's no question. All, all of them. I mean, no real decisions are made at SEC media days. No, oh no, not at all. You know, there's nothing of uh, particular news that comes out of there for for the most part. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I I could see that being more of a focal point with the, 
the spring meetings. And I always equated it to this. The SEC media days were like going to Disney World, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Going to SEC spring meetings was like going to Disney World, but you had the fast pass. Yeah, you, know, you, you yeah. didn't have the you didn't have the lines. You didn't have the you know you got to talk to more people. You got to ride more rides in in relation to the the analysis the uh, analogy to Disney World. That's what it that's what it felt like the first time I went to the spring meetings. And man, this was back this was twenty years ago when I went. And even especially back then, I mean, you could grab any athletic director in the league. Sure. You could grab basketball, football, mm-hmm. all in one place. Yeah, it's like Costco. You know, it's it's not just football coaches and a couple players. It's ADs, it's basketball, it's football. I mean, it's all right there. One stop shopping. Let's just imagine and pretend a minute that they're going to make this decision on whether to go to nine SEC games or eight uh, in Destin. Uh, Trev, can you imagine the media descending upon that area on that day? Oh yeah. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Sure. Absolutely. It's, uh, this is all groundbreaking stuff, man. Not just in terms of the Southeastern conference, but for collegiate athletics yeah, Yes. as a whole, this isn't just central to one league and how it's going to impact things moving forward, similar to the big 10 and what's going on, uh, with SC and UCLA, uh, out in, in, in that league. So absolutely. I don't think there's any question about that. So, Hey, Speaking of spring meetings and decisions being made as it relates to the Southeastern Conference, sounds like rule changes in general for college football uh, for as soon as the 2023 season could be interesting. I guess more of an emphasis on uh, trying to condense the the time of play for football games. Is that that what we're looking at here? Yeah, yeah. The, in a nutshell, that they've got four proposals. One is prohibiting consecutive timeouts to ice the kicker and that uh, that's a no-brainer no one time down at the end of the first quarter or the third quarter uh clocks run on first downs except for inside of two minutes and a half and the most controversial one clocks running on incompletions once the ball is spotted uh but 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 here's the other thing that is uh, interesting here, Trav, the average college football game last season was three hours and 21 minutes. That is an increase from three minutes and 18 seconds the year before uh, in 2021, and then five minutes longer than 2018 of three, uh, three minutes and 16 seconds. So look, over what, Trav, from two, 2018 to last year in 2022, I mean, we're only talking about, what, uh, five minutes? Maybe that's longer. It's easy for folks to say, well, let's just get rid of some of these commercials. Well, you and I both know, Trav, that ain't happening. So if you want to make the game shorter, uh, what do you do? Uh, and, And frankly, some of these I get, some of them I don't. Do they do something with a halftime? Uh, so that's been, a, yes, a big discussion as of late. Yeah, the thing about it is, and, and I, I like the NFL halftimes and, and how uh, they've shrunk those in terms of time, but you got to figure out what you're going to do with your advertising inventory that you, you got sure spread do. out. And that's what this all goes back to. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, 
So I, the the one that I I'm okay with for sure is the running clock mm. after a first down. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, and outside of two minutes remaining, uh, other than the the second and fourth quarters, then you stop it on first downs um, after first downs there. So. Uh, it, it will be interesting because I, I've been to some of these games. I was, I've said it before, man. I think the Ole Miss Alabama game in 2016 was like four hours and five minutes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And didn't, and didn't even go into overtime. Mm-hmm. But you know what they're not talking about in all this is how can you make the game move better based on replay review too, sure. which is certainly yeah. a factor absolutely. in time of play these days with what we've got uh, from a replay. Uh, perspective. A, you know, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but as we wind down here on this latest edition of Second Helping, uh, great note here, 10 of the 14 SEC schools will have new offensive coordinators in 2023. Alabama, Tommy Reese, Arkansas, Dan Enos is back around in Fayetteville. Um, it, it's a it's a massive list, man. I know uh, Liam Cohen is back at Kentucky. Uh, obviously Mississippi state going through a major change, uh, following the passing of Mike Leach and transitioning away. It looks like from the air raid in full anyway. Um, some of these were promotions like Mike Bobo, Mm -hmm. um, the situation at Tennessee. Uh, but yeah, still some intriguing, intriguing hires. When you talk about guys like Reese and Bobby Petrino at Texas A&M. Well, and the two that garnered the most, most attention were Petrino uh, and how he will do with Jimbo Fisher um, and Connor Wigman, uh, their quarterback. And, and then the Mike Bobo situation, Georgia fans raising an eyebrow. Uh, and, and look, uh, y- y- and you and I were doing radio together when he was the OC at Georgia before. He's got better, mm-hmm. talent, better talent now. But, Trev, you and I both know they wanted to run him out on a rail uh, his last year or two at Georgia. So so he is back. But, again, uh, this is what you and I have talked about for years. This is the trust factor. Dick Saban has it with his assistants. Kirby certainly has it with others. Kirby could have gone out and got someone else. Uh, but Bobo is in the system. He's an analyst. He knows Georgia. Uh, and, again, whether – whether dog fans like it or not, uh, that's a lot of why uh, Kirby made that decision. But yes, ten of fourteen is a lot of change, isn't it? Yeah, the Bobo dynamic is very interesting because there's certainly a comfort level. We're not just talking about guys who played at Georgia together. Uh, we're talking about best friends, oh, really, yeah. in a lot of ways. And then you add Will Muschamp to that mix, sure, uh, at Georgia and. These guys were roommates, essentially, mm-hmm. uh, at Georgia in a lot of ways. Mike and Kirby and a friend of mine, Brian Jones, uh, played at Bowles in Jacksonville, Florida, before going on to UGA. Um, I think they called themselves the Magnificent Seven when they were all in <laughs> Athens together. I don't, you know, I don't know if anything was that magnificent about Brian, yeah. but uh, right. maybe, maybe collectively as a group, they were, <laughs> they were that impressive. Hey, uh, anything else, Brent, before we get out of here? I, I think we need to touch on Auburn real quick. Auburn's one of the first ones out of the chute as they begin on Monday with Hugh Freeze uh, and all kinds of uh, new 
situations at Auburn. Obviously, Robbie Ashford, Ashford the incumbent, probably at quarterback, Holden uh, Gariner. Uh, they've got a lot of receivers. A lot of these guys over, you know, this is Trav, a lot of them over 6'3 and 6'5 and so forth. But that, that receiving group last year was not very good. Let's be honest about that. The offensive line has been a question mark now for basically five years or so. That, that to their credit, they recruited a lot of offensive linemen. So uh, j- just just thought it was interesting that Auburn starts off for us on Monday. Yeah, it uh, is very interesting. Uh, and certainly quarterback is is where it'll start with Ashford. And then you go on from there. But uh, new staff, new coordinator, new head coach, new approach. Um, you know, Hugh likes to run the football, too. He, uh, he, he likes to incorporate those power spread concepts. And you talk about bigger receivers. Uh, he had a guy like Laquan Treadwell at Ole Miss that was um, – a really good player. So, you know, it's kind of ironic too, you know, when you think about um when you think about the quarterbacks that 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 he's had in the past and how their skill sets might line up uh Malik Willis, right? Uh Yeah, absolutely. Ironically enough, a former Auburn quarterback that that uh Hugh took in there at Liberty. Um you know, maybe you can draw some parallels there between Willis and and Ashford moving forward. Brent, as always, man, enjoy it. A lot of fun and look forward to doing it again real soon. Uh, and travel. We'll go out on this final question. Uh, I know many want to know, did Bob step up for Valentine's this year? You know, he did. And it was by mistake because <laughs> he got the, he got the weeks mixed up. You know, he's officially at that point where he, he doesn't yes. always know exactly or care to know exactly what day yeah. it is. So he got Nana something a week early, uh, mm-hmm. and then he, he followed it up with something else a week later. So Pops doubled up, even well, if he didn't mean it. But, uh, yeah, he got, a, he got a high mark this time around for a change. Excellent. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, good for Pops, right? Good for us as well that we have Brent Beard alongside to talk college football with us here on second helping the podcast of choice for fans and followers of the number one league in all of collegiate athletics, the Southeastern conference for Brent Travis Schreier. Thanking you once again for joining us. If you haven't subscribed to second helping, we certainly hope you'll consider doing so wherever you consume pods, you're going to find us. And if you'd leave us a rating and a review, that would help us out greatly as well for Brent Travis until next time. So long, everybody. <laughs>